And I thought, well, that's kind of bullshit. How does this work? I'm Brian Anderson. And I'm Bobby Fazio. And welcome to another edition of Class Racing Today's podcast. Thank you for joining us. We have reached 600 followers on our Facebook page, so sounds like we're growing, headed for the positive positive slope, if you will, coming from the math teacher. Um, today we have one of our favorites. We have Mike Manns rejoining us today for his technical insight and expertise. Brian and I aren't hey guys. that smart. We're not that smart, so we have Mike Manns join us. Say hello, Mike. <clears throat> hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me back. All right, Brian, how are you doing this weekend? I'm doing great. I got to watch a little racing in Vegas. That was pretty interesting. The weather got nice here, so our snow melted, and I think we were 40, 50 degrees. It's supposed to be 70 this week. Kind of makes me want to start putting my car back together, but unfortunately, we're going to get snow and cold again next week, so I'll have time to do it. 70? I didn't know you guys ever got 70 out there. Yeah, typically followed by eight. Something, when did you know, this we like, start? We like to keep it swinging. <laughs> it's a nice range. I like it. Well, you got to get rid of all the people that want to move to South Dakota for our, you know, lax government restrictions. So everybody's moving here, but we got to keep the weather to keep out. You know, you got to be dedicated if you want to live here. I know. Do you guys even have taxes in that state? Um, It's kind of like leap year. Every four years, you have to pay them. Oh. Oh. None yep. of this is true. New Jersey, we we have cheap gas. About the only thing that I can boast about in this state. What's cheap gas to you? Two. I'm looking at two thirteen over across the street, which is I usually you know I lived in Pennsylvania my whole life, and I go back there a lot, and we're looking at like two forty there, I think, a gallon for regular. That's pretty wild because I think diesel here is right around two fifteen. I think I paid this weekend, and I was in Oklahoma last week. And I filled up my truck for like a dollar seventy-eight. I'm just like, it was incredible, like what the difference is. Dollar seventy-eight. Yeah. You filled your truck for a dollar seventy-eight. Yeah, I think it was dollar seventy-eight a gallon on the toll road. My goodness. In Oklahoma. So why does there have to be that big a difference? I think it's a buck ninety-nine in town now. Is that what it is? Yeah. I always like that when like the convenience ones are always like ten or fifteen cents higher, which. I totally understand because you're in America, so why not make money where it's convenient? But like my my hauler, I hold 90 gallons in my dually, so you, know, you fill that up, you can just about make it to the track and back a lot of times. And of course, I always wait until the very end, so then I go by that one gas station that's 2.40 a gallon when everybody else is two dollars. <laughs> so if I uh, I probably should put in just enough to make it to the next gas station, but you know All what right. would happen then? So. I don't know it's just uh oh. it's one of those things you just you need it. I'm not gonna walk, I'm not gonna ride a horse to work, so put it in and just drive. But definitely it saves a lot of money in the year though. If you think about what you spend in total fuel usage going to the tracks, it's it's pretty significant. Saving a lot of money on gas. You should be going one one point two under next year with all this saved <laughs> money. Unfortunately there's a long list of people that had combinations of like mine, similar combinations that have pretty much made sure that's never gonna happen. <clears throat> well, let's ask let's ask mike mans how you do it mike did you watch any racing this weekend what'd you do i did uh so believe it or not i i actually watched uh pretty much the entire day yesterday uh the whole race in vegas uh normally i'm not a big sit in front of the tv and watch the race uh guy anymore i i used to be before uh you know wife and kids and, and a lot more stuff going on but <clears throat> there was a lot going on yesterday. It was fun to watch all of the, uh, the championship point stuff, uh, at least in the pro classes. I think, um, you know, we had some ties in the pro stock side to, uh, watching Jason line finish out his pro stock career. That was pretty cool. Uh, you know, didn't turn out the way, you know, a lot of his, uh, fans and local friends would have liked to seen it, you know, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. And, and, uh, he had a pretty awesome career. It was neat to see a guy that, you know, you kind of grew up watching and, and spending time around, uh, get to have that opportunity so that was really cool um and then yeah just kind of watching a lot of the other classes i know there's some championship stuff um in most of the sportsman classes left i mean the 
super stock stuff is tied up. Uh, Brian Warner, you know, had a fantastic season, got to lock it up. So that was pretty cool to see uh, that this week. <clears throat> and then the, the stock eliminator stuff. I think there's some, some good races coming together. There's some guys putting together some, some late season phenomenal finishes and it's going to make it uh, fun to watch here in the next couple of weeks as it winds down with the uh, finish of the Vegas stuff. Yeah, there's definitely some great racing at Vegas this weekend. Um, if anybody did tune into the Vegas national event or you didn't tune in, uh, in stock, Justin Lamb in his factory stock D, uh, 2020 Camaro got the win over Mike Cotton in his F stock automatic car. Does Mike Cotton have a duster? I'm, I think so. Yeah. And, uh, super stock Terry Emmons and Brian Warner, two names that you just don't ever want to get paired up against <laughs> <laughs> Terry Emmons and the super stock B stock, uh, Cavalier, I believe that one is. And the Protect the Harvest car. Took the win over Brian Warner. Superstock J Automatic. Warner's having, I mean, both of these guys are having like amazing seasons. And Warner just wrapped up the championship and makes it to the final. And this event, I mean, they're just, might be able to quit their jobs as firemen pretty soon and just, just race full time. Like, what are you guys doing? Stop working. Um, and Factory Stock. Aaron Stanfield is just tearing it up. Uh, he took the win over David Barton yesterday. Saw that one on TV. That one was actually broadcast on TV um, when I was watching it. And I DVR'd it, so I watched it a little bit later. So mine cut off before the finals in any other categories. So I don't know if was Stock and Superstock broadcast on FS1 yesterday? Like the Warner Emmons and the uh, Justin Lamb Mike Cotton race. Did you guys take notice if that was if that showed up on TV? I don't know. I I watch it all on that NHRA.tv <clears throat> setup. Oh, so. okay. Okay. I had, to, I had to give up my cable subscription when I got a race car. <laughs> now, I watched it on FS1. I, did, I didn't uh, re-up my NHRA TV this year because I I kind of I, – I just like to have it and watch the races that I actually race at to see myself on the big screen because, you know, I'm that I'm, – that much of a nerd, but I didn't race any national events this year, so I felt no need to uh, to pay my money for that. Maybe you'd win more races if you weren't watching the in car. Maybe you're, are you watching the races when you're going down the track? Like, yeah, I'm holding my laptop iPhone. set up. Oh, I can't do that. I don't have e shift, so I can't hold a phone while I'm going down the track. Uh, I actually have to. I have to do things with my hands. So, <laughs> I maybe maybe next year. You just I can can't do leave that. that alone, can you? <laughs> um. Interesting note about, about the Vegas national event. Mike and Paula Cotton put together their own uh, Calcutta, basically. Everyone, I, I don't know if it was for stock and super stock or just one category. I'm assuming it was for both. Um, they could pay $100 at their trailer, and then it was a winner-take-all. Whoever got the furthest um, got to take, take, get all that money. So I don't know how many, how many guys and gals entered that, and I don't know if – Justin Lamb entered it. I'm assuming Mike Cotton entered it because he put it on. So one of those drivers got that nice chunk of change to uh, boost the day. So That's something, awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering if, if more, more uh, divisions are going to start <clears throat> doing something like that. That's a great idea. Adds a little bit to the purse. Right? I mean, that, that's all we've kind of been talking about this year is slashed purses for pros and just non-existent purses for us. So uh, the way contingencies kind of – dwindling i mean i think this is a, a nice way to do it what i i mean I, I obviously the winner deserves to get a lot of money i like to see semi-finalists they really like ugh, they take a beating to, to win that semi-final round is, is such a big boost i would like to see semi-finalists maybe get get some of that money or split that money between the the remaining four cars or something like that would be pretty cool in my opinion yeah i mean the semis are that's the heartbreak round i mean if you especially at a national event you go from you know Four or five hundred to you know a couple thousand bucks. Right, four or five grand. So it's yeah. yeah I mean, I've I've been I've been in a position a couple times where if you make it to the semis and you know depending on who I'm racing, um, you know depending if if they're comfortable with it or not or you know how I'm feeling that day, you know I've certainly done kickback bro kickback you know to the to the the guy that I'm racing we'll we'll make an agreement you know whichever one of us goes on we're gonna kick back three four hundred bucks to the guy that loses this round. Because, uh, you know, obviously both of us are confident that whoever wins between us is probably going to hopefully win the race. 
And that's, you know, kind of the confidence level you're going in with. And then hopefully you're able to send a little bit of that money back to the guy that's just getting uh, taken to the shorts on this payout. All right, let's stop right there. Mike, you and I race in Brainerd. And I never got any money back, and you won. So I'm going to weigh the BS flag there because that was not the case when we raced. That's a technicality. Come on. Yeah, I'm not going to do a kickback after the first round. (laughs) It was first round, Brian. Come on. Do you want to meet that guy first round, Bobby? Get your illegal transmission out there and go get beat. Was that a heads up or was that was that a uh, a bracket <laughs> no. dialing? Yeah, it was not a heads up a against dialing. that car dialing. Okay. Yeah. All right. So every other time when you're not racing me is what you do like, right? <laughs> that's uh, that's it's pretty much reserved for semifinals. All right. <laughs> Next time this year. And and that's a great. <clears throat> I, I like that. Um, Mike, I was I always wondered if people did splits or anything at na- uh national events and divisional events. I mean, we we did it in bracket racing a lot and I've done it at combo races um in finals and things like that but yeah semi-final splitting with his opponent great idea I brought up I brought that up one time and I was told splitting's for quitting well let me tell you something every time I offered a split and the guy turned it down I beat him and every time a split uh, was offered to me and I agreed to it I beat him so I don't know. I think it's a it's like a karma kind of thing. There you go. I just uh, I I would never <clears throat> turn down a split, no matter what. It's a it's a little different, I think, in stock super stock. There's a lot of guys that have only raced stock super stock, and uh, you know they it's not very common. It's not very traditional in stock super stock to do that. You know, we're in the bracket racing world. That's that's everyday occurrence. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. These were There's these were combo of... races. These were stock super stock, uh, the Mason Dixon race and um yeah. a Dave Lay race. Um but yeah, a couple times we're in we're in brackets also. Yeah. Um I wanna really want to mention this act of kindness that I don't know if you guys heard about this in Vegas. All right, Mike Graham's running super stock. Third round, his opponent goes red and Mike's car throws uh, a rod out the pin, and he has the choice of, can I get this thing fixed for Sunday? Can I get a spare motor in here, or do we just call it quits? So Andy Kimball drives 700-ish miles round trip. So he, he gets in his truck, goes to from Vegas to Phoenix area, I guess to Mike Graham's shop, picks up a spare motor, Gets right back in his truck, drives. So it was like 350 miles to get there. Throws the motor in, 350 miles back. Gets back to Vegas. They, uh, Dennis Alvey helps Mike. So it was Mike Graham, Dennis Alvey, and I think Andy Kimball, maybe a couple other uh, helpers also. And they get this motor in the car for Mike um, by about 1, 2 a.m. And Mike was able to race on Sunday. He unfortunately had to race against Justin Lamb and did not win that round, but... What man, where do you get friends like that? That's just that says says a lot about the racing community, doesn't it? Absolutely, Andy's a great guy. He comes up to our Oville race and kind of plays around up here. He's friends of friends, so I've pitted next to him, and it seems like this is kind of a heartbreak track for him. It seems like yeah, it was Rock Falls. He was here this year. I think he came up for Oville, and it seems like he always kind of has a similar situation. I think there's been a mechanical issue both time, both years he's come up here. And, the same thing though. Everybody piles together and gets his car working. You know, thrashes on it all night and gets them back in the game. And that's what makes that's what makes this this class and this group of racing so fun. Is I think literally just about anybody is willing to help donate parts or time or like I said, that's crazy to put in the put in the wheel time, go get the motor and thrash on it all night and get it running. I mean, that's really what uh, makes yeah. us great. That was really like if I had a. An award to give those guys right now: Dennis Alvey, Andy Kimball, Mike Graham. We're neutral here, okay? We don't, I, I, we don't root for anybody. But a little part of me was like, kind of, I, I just wanted Mike, I wanted that to be worth it for those guys. But in the end, and the moral victory is, you know, they won that for sure. <clears throat> That's great. 
Okay, next. Vegas Jag Sports Nationals is still going on, right? They're going to finish that uh, at the Divisional Test and Tune on Thursday, November 5th. As far as points are concerned, Jody Lang and Kyle Rizzoli were still in um, there. They were both top five. I have to double-check my new rankings. And Justin Lamb was still in also. Is that correct, Brian and Mike? I believe so. I believe so. I think, yeah, Jody and uh, Justin for sure. Uh, I, I don't remember if Kyle was in or not. Probably. Yeah, Kyle was in in round going into – they finished round three in stock. All the other classes only finished two rounds. So as far as I know in my notes from last week, uh, those Jody, Kyle were in, and Justin is in also. Now, Mike, can Justin – Jody's in first right now. Jody lost first round at the uh, national event this past weekend. He can still seal the deal, even if Justin Lamb wins the Jag Sports Nationals, or what are we thinking here? The way I was looking at it, I think Justin <clears> – <throat> so say say they both lost at the same round in the Jag Sports Nationals, and they still have the divisional event to, to, to use. I believe if they both lost the same round – Jody would have an advantage because I think I think Jody would still be like 78 points ahead, uh, give or take. And Justin's kicking a 40 divisionally, so he can only get 65 um, if he wins the divisional event. So <clears throat> the way I read it, he has to go, I think, two rounds farther than Jody at the Sports Nationals and potentially win the Jigs or the, the last divisional event of the year. So um, certainly a tall order, but. Justin's done it before. So right. you're saying there's a chance. With him, there's always a chance. The way <clears> he's been driving, I mean, not, he, uh, what kind of package did he put up against John McLaughlin yesterday in the uh, uh, fourth round, Sunday morning? It, wasn't it a 10 pack? Wasn't he five dead five? I, th- I think so. I think so. I mean, John McLaughlin yeah. had a nice 018 light in his stick car and, Jeez, it was it was mathematically locked out just from that alone. Did you? Uh, you probably didn't see it. John first round had a hell of a run against Alcorta too. That was pretty cool. Oh yeah, I saw the time slip on that one. But he's been driving pretty good. That's I was I was cheering for him. He's the guy that convinced me to get into this crazy game and. I was, that's, that was who I was cheering for. I'm cheering for him next weekend, but it was pretty cool. He went up against Alcorta, and what was the margin of victory? It was like triple oh seven. Yeah, that was a good race. Yeah, I think you're running out of digits at that point. Triple oh seven. <laughs> he's not double oh seven. He's triple oh seven. All right. That's one of those crazy uh, cheater four speeds in there too. I know. You know what? I'm a big fan of stick cars, and you know I'm a big fan of slow cars. So, although I say I don't root for anybody on here, I I quietly root for stick cars. I quietly root for slow cars. And if you have a slow stick car, then my goodness, just want to shake your hand. What year Mustang did those Jerichos come in? Sixty four <laughs> all the way to twenty twenty. Right. No, G forces came in starting around what nineteen eight uh, seventy nine, I think. Or 82. Five speeds. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that works. I mean, in the automatic side, you know, over the years, guys have had to play by this rule that you you run a a corporate cased transmission. So, you know, ProTrans developed a a heck of an internal set. um, And that internal gear set and clutch pack and everything that goes with it, you know, that was morphed into a turbo 350 case to fit into a GM card. It was morphed into a, I think a C4 or C6 case to fit into the Ford stuff. So you go, you jump through all these hoops to make it, you know, fit the right bell housing attachments and, and points for stock and super stock, traditional stock and super stock. And then, you know, we can go buy a Jericho or a G force, which, which is based off not? the Ford top loader, by the way. <laughs> which has never come in any passenger car. Uh, but I guess, you know, got to give them something. You all love that Ford nine inch rear though, don't you? I, that to me, <clears throat> so there's a great, a great point. That's one thing that actually when it, when these factory cars came out, it kind of pissed me off that they allowed a nine inch Ford in a, a Camaro, Copa cars, 
in the the drag pack cars and the showdown cars or the Cobra Jets, which at the first time when they first came out with them, I'm like, okay, they're limited to factory stock classes. And then when the 2015 Camaro became available as a streetcar package, you know, the the, the class that Alcorda and Marion Stevenson and all of them run, uh, now all of a sudden a nine inch Ford is legal in a 2015 Camaro or anything 2010 and newer. And I thought, well, that's kind of bullshit. How does this work? Anything built after 2010, now you've got a, a nine-inch Ford legal for it. You know, I, if I was building a new, I don't know that I would ever build a, a brand new 20, uh, 2000 Firebird or Camaro right now. But if I did, I would love to put a nine-inch Ford in it instead of a 12-volt. What that make a gear change so easy? Oh, my gosh. Your life is so much easier. Well, like I said... Why are rules inconsistent like this, Mike and Brian? I, I don't, I don't understand. Depends who's making them. I think a lot of times it's <clears throat> who's making it's, them. It's, it's fast factory cars or what? Who's making fact, these rules? It's factory involvement, and I think when when the the Copo program came out, and the the factory cars were later adopted, and guys wanted to take a car that was a an original Copo car, and make it into a 2015 Street Camaro combination to fit natural stock you know at the time i'm sure nhra for whatever reason was like well you know we don't we're already making you change the hood you know we don't want to make you change all the suspension and the and the, the rear end componentry so we'll just grandfather you in and so i think it's it's legal on all those combinations same with the drag packs <clears throat> or 2020 camera or 2020 uh challengers i believe can run a nine inch ford also Brian, what do you have to say about that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually trying to dig in and look and figure out who's all still in the Vegas race on Thursday. Yeah. So I look in here at third round is where they finish. It looked like Cal Method, Mike Johnston, Jeremy Stein, Dwight Mockle, Jeff Jerome, Justin Lamb, Joe Swanson, Ryan Water. Scott Burton, Kyle Rizzoli, Brian McCallahan, Jody Lang, and John McLaughlin. Does that sound right? Sounds right. Who's your pick? I do know that my, my buddy in the 289 Screamer and Kip Martin's old car, uh, upset of the week against Brian Warner last week. He He's still in, Tim Schmackpfeffer. So, Maybe I'm not, not rooting for anybody except for you, Tim. Maybe I'm not looking at the right thing then because I don't see him on here. In the... Jag Sports Nationals continuation, super stock. Yeah, that's a tough list of guys left in stock. Oh, yeah. Who's your pick? That's, that's going to be interesting. With I, I don't know. I think Jody Lang bounces back from his red light last week. <clears throat> he's probably pissed, and he's going to win the whole thing because he's the best driver ever. I would I would argue that he's one of the best drivers to never win a championship. And you put yourself in that position that many times, it's gonna happen. I mean, it's it's a statistical oddity if you don't. I mean, he's he's a terrific driver. He's a fantastic driver given the the situation that he's in with you know the car and the speed and, and everything that he's working with. Uh, I think he's he's a fantastic driver. Um, he certainly deserves to win a championship. Uh, whether that happens this year or not. Uh, We'll find out. I think it. I think it does. I'm putting my money on it. Brian, five bucks. Jody Lang gonna win the national championship. What happens if you put that guy in a fast car? Does he just know his? Like, isn't that kind of what makes a good driver? Like, a good driver should be able to get into any car and win, right? So, is it more of just the combo and the work he's done and how good his car works and how well he knows his car, or could you put him in a, you know, a factory style nine second car? Would he be just as good? That's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I think there's <clears throat> there's certainly guys that like Jody that they're they're so used to chasing that it would probably be a different it's a totally different look. You know, you're looking forward instead of looking back. You're judging the rate of closure a lot differently. Uh, I think he he's a good enough driver. I think give him a little bit of time and he could acclimate to any car. But uh, it's I think it's much easier to acclimate to a fast car than it is to acclimate to a slow car. Let's put Mike and Bobby's car next year. 
and we'll see if he can make it through first round. I want to, yeah, let's take all the, let's take Jody Lang, put him in a nine second car and let's take the nine second drivers, put them in 12 second cars and we'll see who, so we're, who that's, does better. So that's like the My race. money will be on Jody. Is that the championship race? We'll put Justin in Jody's car <laughs> and Jody in Justin's car and see who can win. Have them switch cars for that race. That'd be great. Better put True Start on because somebody's red lighting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you can do it in a 12-second car consistently, I mean, how many times do you see 12-second cars consistently winning things like like he does? And I've read interviews on him. I try it. You know, when the guy speaks, I try to take something in. And he, he was talking about how he's looking at, you know, wind socks while he's going down track. He's just, he's very cognizant of what's going on when he's going down the track. He's so aware um, that makes such great drivers. And then you have to know your spots out there. I'm sure he knows them. You got to be killer on the tree. He always is. I mean, it was, I was surprised when he went red the other day because the guy is just, he's like always in the teens, consistent on the tree in two, you know, two categories because um, he races super stock also. And his car is not very fast in super stock either. Uh, GTO automatic, I think he has like a, a Malibu or something. So, I mean, that's that's why I just I put him up there because he's in he's in the slow car. So he's one of my, obviously as you could tell now he's like one of my driving heroes because he's in the slow car. Gotta love those slow cars. It's just a matter of perspective, you know. I think I have a slow car. <laughs> everybody else in my class is faster than me. <clears throat> That's the only time it really matters is on stock. You know, the heads up is the bigger. <clears throat> to me, that's the hardest part. Being the slow car in your class is worse than being the slow car at the track. I just hide. Was hide and seek your favorite game as a child, Bobby? Uh, yep. Like being, a, being a Ford guy, I can see why. <clears throat> just hide on that ladder. You'll be fine. <laughs> How many cars do you get out at those divisionals out there anyway? Where's your nearest divisional anyway? Too many. That'd be Brainerd <clears throat> or Earlville. There's what? What's Earlville normally close? There's a hundred cars there, pretty typically. Yeah, isn't it tons. Yeah, it's right around a hundred usually for a divisional thing. I think the first time I went there last year, I want to say there was twelve cars and turning into. Should we make it yeah, so that you qualify like ED into... cars? Like, what do you think no. about bringing that that performance based aspect back into it? When you're never going to get, <clears throat> I mean, at Maple Grove, we we can hit 128 stockers. Um, but when's the last time you ever saw like you had to qualify to make the field? I've seen it happen, but it's very rare. I know, so that's why I'm saying, should we bring that back? I mean, it's going to be difficult at a national event where they're only taking 50 cars. That's for national events. I think that's how they should do the national event. That's yeah. how you avoid some of the grade point stuff. Well, how's that going to affect grade points? You get a grade point just by passing Bring tech. in some incentive. <clears throat> well, no, I mean just as far as needing enough grade points. Like Brainerd, it's pretty much six grade points to get in the stock. A lot of 100 cars get yeah. in. And then it's qualify. like turning into eight and seven over here. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I, I yeah, make it some incentive to uh, have to go fast to get in. Right. It's part of the class. Right. Didn't it used to be class winners make the eliminator? What happened to that rule? When did that one change? Somebody, <laughs> somebody on Facebook Live might know what year that changed. <clears throat> Or my time. Was it was it that long ago, like the eighties or nineties? I think it was in the seventies. Seventies that changed. Okay. Let's see if somebody can chime in on that one. Yeah. yeah we're getting kind of all kinds of feedback on Facebook. We yep. have uh, Jody's the toughest driver <clears throat> with a slow car ever. He's the Dan Marino of the sport. <laughs> Do you know who Dan Marino is, Mike? Yes, he screwed over. Uh, uh, was it Ray Finkel? That's who it was. Remember when Dan Marino held the snap in that crucial Super Bowl, and the laces were in? That's who Dan Marino was. 
I just remember there was a kid in high school that got beat up all the time for liking Dan Reno. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my God. You guys don't know your movies. Somebody on Facebook Live has to know the reference I just made, or I'm quitting. <laughs> Ace Ventura. Oh, okay, good. Mans, you can stay on. Brian, hit the road. <sighs> I hated that guy. <laughs> I refuse to watch those. Sorry. I'm all about stupid humor, but that crosses the line in so many ways. Wait, now Steven Johnson's saying they got in for class winner back in 2006. Is, was this a recent rule that changed? Uh, at Indy, <clears throat> you used to that used to be a part of the U.S. Nationals, is if you won class. So if you weren't a natural qualifier, but you still won class, they would bring you into the 128-car field. Okay, so it was just at Indy. It wasn't at every other national event in the country then. No, I think years ago it may have been a part of something like that. Uh, like I said, like pre my time, literally pre me being born. But uh, at Indy, yeah, that was definitely the case. I mean, there was a lot of guys that would go there that they were the only car in their class, and you could run thirty under and make it in the show. Wow. What's been the biggest change? Like, think about that from '06 to today. Like, how easy? How much easier is it to go fast today than it was then? That's a great question. There's so many components within the engines that have improved. I think from a technological perspective, we've got the benefit of the development that's taken place in pro stock in NASCAR. And and a lot of that is directly applicable to us. Um, you know, it, it probably doesn't seem like it, but, you know, pro stock works within a confinement. They've got a box of rules and, and a set of parameters that they have to work within. And that's really similar to stock eliminator. And, um, you know, it takes a long time for that information to finally trickle its way down. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that they've advanced in those classes makes its way to stock and super stock. And that's a lot of what's made these cars run better. It's not necessarily that, you know, guys are cheating any differently than they ever have, you know, cylinder heads are still the same within reason to what they always were. Uh, but there's a, there's a tremendous amount of advancement in every component in the engine. I mean, you could, you could work your way down and say that wrist pin technology has made engines run better because you can rev them higher with a, with a more stable ring, uh, ring seal. And there's a lot of those little components that I think people just don't, if, if you're not building engines, you're not thinking about it. Um, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, piston ring technology has advanced so far that <clears throat> you could take a motor that was run, you know, Bobby DeArmond's first nine second run and you could rebuild that motor. And I'm sure that car could run two tenths faster today than it did in 2001. Um, you know, there's just so much that's taken place. So there's obviously an advantage for the combos that have been thrashed out over the years then. There's certainly some advantage to it. I mean, I think I think you could make any combination today. It's time and money, right? I mean, it's <clears throat> it's however much time and however much money you want to spend on it. I think you could make most combos competitive. I mean, there's there's a lot of combinations that have been beat on hard for 40 years and are still competitive today. So it, it's a true testament to the development of components and systems and valve train and everything else that's that's a part of this entire package that make them more efficient and uh, make them run better. And it's 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 interesting because it's not just there's never a free lunch. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Like in in a in a big block Chevrolet, <clears throat> the dark block. Uh, it's a you turn it into a great foundation instead of a stock iron block, but it's not as though you just put a dart block with all your same components inside and you're automatically going to pick up 10 horse, you know, it's, it provides you an opportunity to change something else to make it more efficient. So you get a dart block with a 60 millimeter cam journal and stock eliminator, and you get rid of your stock cam core and you're able to change and make the motor more efficient, more stable. And that's how you can pick up power. So there's a lot of these components that you, you change one thing and it enables you to improve somewhere else. It's usually not get a new block and pick up 10 hours. Right, yeah. Like catalogs would have you believe. Yeah. Oh, I just, I'll buy this. It says picks up 10 horsepower. Yeah. I thought you just put the sticker on your car went faster. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you would think. The Ford Performance sticker. Hey, that sticker yeah. still pays money. Okay? Yeah, it does. Sure does. Just imagine if the they put it that, on a fast car. All the things that Mike just mentioned increase the cost of this category. And Brian, we're always talking about how we're going to get young people into this category. That's not doing a whole lot of good to get young people into the category, is it? When things are... You know, I'd, oh. ar I'd argue against that some, though, Bobby, because, like, I literally know nothing about this when I came into it. <clears throat> I was able, I mean, don't get me wrong, maybe I cheated. I didn't build my own motor. I talked to people that had, you know, I called different people. Um, Al Corda had parts there from one of his old LS1s. So the fact that I could go, it was sitting at the engine builder, have them put together, I bought these parts used, but it was all a working combination. Like, I don't know how much money I saved, and I don't really want to think about it, but just being able to buy a decent combo. Now, granted, you know, I started with a turbo 350 transmission that wasn't very efficient. Manual valve body, started with the motor, and I could run under the index. I mean, I was 20, 30 under the index, but I could at least go race. It was an intro to stock limited racing. And the fact that all the all the R&Ds already been put in, like, it was a huge jump start. Now, to get competitive, you got to keep going, but... You could almost argue now it's it's way cheaper to get in that way than to start from ground zero building and buying every component and trying to figure it out. I mean, just because you spend money doesn't mean you're going faster in this thing. Oh, well, that's, that's a, true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could I could show you shelves full of expensive parts that didn't make any power, didn't make it any better. And to be honest, I think it, in the development side, it, that's where all the money is spent. I mean, you... You could, I can, I can argue and, and, you know, prove if, if I wanted to, to say, yes, I spent, we spent three X the typical amount to, to learn something. And at the end of that learning process, I could duplicate that same end result for way less money, but <clears throat> it's the effort and the time that it took to get to that end result. So, I mean, Camshafts are a great example. I mean, you, you could buy a million camshafts and how long do you want to sit on the dyno and how many things you want to try. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I could spend $5,000 in camshafts. And if I was an engine builder, that's why you, that's why engine builders charge money for their services is they've provided that level of expertise, that level of knowledge. So instead of me going and spend five grand on camshafts, I can come to one of these, you know, well-reputable engine builders and they're going to spec it into their engine the first time. So yes, it costs money. It really costs money if you're trying to do it yourself. If you're trying to pioneer and, and make headway, that's where the investment dollars come in. And that's where the time comes in. At the end of the day, if, if, if you're looking to go fast, in most circumstances, unless you have access and, and the ability to, to think outside the box and to make some of those technology advancements, there is, you are way money ahead going to a reputable engine builder. I mean, and there's, we're, we're at a great time right now where there's good engine builders on every coast and, and a lot of places in between. So you can buy good power and it's, yeah, it's not cheap um, by any means, but uh, you're still money ahead versus trying to figure it out yourself. Indeed. And somebody made a great point a couple of years ago that, you know, on the forums, people say you got to work on your combo more. You got to spend more money, like things like that. And a guy made a point like, well, <clears throat> I'm not that mechanically inclined and I don't know how to work on my combo. So like I'm working on it by I'm working overtime this week. Uh, like I'm putting in extra hours at work to make the money to pay the engine builder. So that indirectly, I am working on my, I'm working my ass off here at work to yeah. make the money required to, to play this game. So I give those guys respect also. That's just, that's the way this is. Like you just said, you, you can do it yourself if you have the capability um, and the time, or you got to pay somebody else to do it, but you need the money. So you got to go put in the time at work to do that. So in the end, we're, you're working on your combo. This might be a false statement, but to me, it seems like the, the fastest and the most consistent drivers are the ones that are putting in the sweat equity. Like, you can go spend all the money you want, buy the fastest, baddest combo in stock there is. But if you're not putting the time in it to know the car, dial the car, cut a light, stay green, 
all that stuff, it's not going to do you any good. The guys I think that are consistently in the winner's circle are the ones that are putting in the most sweat. Absolutely. And, and there's, you know, Justin's a great example, you know, as we've talked about him a little bit in this uh, earlier to the, early in the podcast, Justin is a guy that he knows where his competencies are and his strengths are. His strength is really in his ability to drive well, obviously, uh, and his, his, his other real core competency is making a car work really, really well. And so he's not an engine builder. He's not a transmission guy. He's not doing that work, but he selects the guys that are good at that. And he leaves that responsibility to them. You know, he has, he has great reliable engine power. Um, and then he is really good at fine tuning a combination so that it's incredibly predictable. It's incredibly reliable and, and consistent. And then he can focus on doing what he's good at also hit the tree and drive the strike. And he, he proves it every year that, you know, he's a great driver, but he also has equipment that he can rely on. I think there's a lot of great drivers that, you know, they, they just don't have the entire package. They have a car that lets them down for one, one reason or another spins the tires or throws them for a loop some round where the thing picks up 500 out of nowhere. You know, those things happen, and that's that's just kind of that next level of being competitive. Yeah, controlling those those types of things, keeping them from happening. So great preparation definitely will help in that aspect. And, yeah, Brian, if you – yeah, getting to know your car, and you should always be putting in the sweat and man hours of getting your weather station, your predictions down, getting your – I think if you have a fuel injection, you should be able to plug your computer in and make a couple adjustments. You shouldn't have to have a tuner with you at every track that you go to and just rely on he or she to tune your car in between rounds because that can make it difficult in case that person can't show up at some point or another. Um, but the mechan strictly mechanical aspect of you know the engine building process, if you ha absolutely have to leave that to a professional and goes back to what I said, you have to work overtime at your regular nine to five job in order to pay for that professionalism. That's, that's where I'm talking about. Just the mechanical, strictly mechanical aspect. Yeah. I worked for a, I worked for a pretty successful man. Uh, what has it been probably 10, 15 years ago. And he gave me a great piece of advice. He said, do what you're really, really good at. Hire somebody to do what you're bad at. And you know, the learning curve yeah. on that, like you can, like, I'm pretty sure I could take my motor part, put it back together, and it's going to start. No. Is it going to make 275 wide open passes down the quarter? Eh. <laughs> I'll stick with starting. It's like when you're in small engines class in high school. Like, all right, we're going to take this apart and put it back together, and hopefully it starts, it starts you pass. Well, I think 90% of the people out there could do that. But, you know, I can't afford to have a disaster going <clears> on the track, so I need to try to cover my bases and make sure that's as solid as it can be because if, if my motor blows up i'm probably done like i don't have a unlimited budget where i could just go throw another one together overnight um yeah it's probably going to take a couple of years to try to put all the pieces back together so now I'm, I, that same, I, I'm the same boat with you there yeah. i want to learn as much as i can about it you know as far as tuning when i've been the most successful i don't touch nothing you know, <laughs> i don't even like to when i show up and make that first qualifying pass i hate to touch anything like when i've been successful this is what it is i'm happy with it car's the same i drive the same nothing changes man every time i make changes something stupid happens and i think some of that's the learning curve too learning what the effect is from each change i mean that's that's part of learning through the sport unfortunately when you have potential heads ups and trying to move on the ladder you have to make changes and that's that's what really separates the men from the boys i think in this sport is you have to be able to roll with punches and know this change does this, this change does that. And that, that goes back to the sweat equity too. I mean, just spending time in the car, like you could spend all the money in the world and build a faster motor, but if you're not spending money on gas and going and making rounds you're making passes, it's not going to help you. And I think one thing that a lot of guys, I assume, I guess, uh, probably don't put as much attention to as, as some of the more successful drivers is is note taking i mean i i have i i make my own logbooks and the amount of data and the amount of information that i document after every run 
you know, I want to be able to, if I get into a situation where overnight the, the air changes dramatically, or if I had to change a converter, or if anything happens, I can go back to my notes and say, this change does that. So I at least have a really good educated guess of where I'm going should something happen. Because at the end of the day, <clears throat> you know, if, if you're not making any changes, you should be able to predict what's going to happen. But if you have big weather changes, if you have any kind of uh, engine change or converter or training change, that's what really defines the guys that know what's going on versus a lot of us that you make a change and then it's just you're throwing a dart at the wall. So you, you, you need to take notes. You need to document things. And, and weather is incredibly important. Um, and I think there's a lot of factors that, that go into dialing a race car that if you don't know and if you're not asking the questions, you, you, you might just be missing out on them, you know? And, and I think what I learned at a young age was I, I gravitated to people that won a lot. I mean, when I was a little kid, I mean, my dad was successful. So I watched and, and learned as much as I could from him. And, and I spent a lot of time as a young kid, like, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, spending time with Edmund and Scotty Richardson, Jeff Taylor and, and Willie Evans and, and, Gary Stinnett and I gravitated to guys that won and and I learned everything I could from what they were doing. And if you just sit in your trailer after every run and you don't think about it or you don't document it or you don't put any effort into this, it's hard to improve. Definitely. That's what I was just gonna right when we both started talking at the same time was note taking and you and you hit it right on the head there. <clears throat> national events where you're running, you know, you have a first round on a Saturday and we don't know what the weather's going to be like. You have another round uh, Sunday morning. I mean, Justin Lamb put up a 10 pack in that Sunday morning run. There's no time run leading up to that. It's just exactly. You have to, you have to know your car. You have to have good notes. And now you're throwing converter changes into the mix too. Like, I mean, yeah, you, you really got to have notes for things like that. So is it safe to, does, do you use crew chief pro Mike? I do. Uh, and I think, I think, you know, Don and Don Higgins has, has programmed in some really helpful and useful formulas within his program. Um, <clears throat> I used it. Uh, the reason I originally purchased it was because of the capabilities to integrate within our, our weather station and be able to text you or, or page you at the time, uh, those predictions. So I have my own formulas that I put into it uh, and it, it, you can utilize it for that function as well. So I use my own formulas um, and then I just have it send me text messages every three minutes or whatever the time frame is. So, you know, when you're in the staging lanes, you've you've got a, a a good pulse of what's happening, what's changing with the weather, what's changing with conditions. Because um, there's a lot of times we can go sit in the staging lanes and all of a sudden you got an oil down in the class in front right. of you and you're sitting there for an hour and a half. And unless you've got some current information coming in or you go back to your trailer to look at it, you know, things could change a lot. You know, it's funny. We keep talking about, oh, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. You know, and everybody beats it. It's, it's not a, it is an expensive hobby, but at the end of the day, there's things you can do to streamline the process. Like that's, I didn't have a weather station. I didn't have crew chief pro. So I bought the crew chief pro that has the, the weather station built into it. Cause I literally had no idea how to dial a car new combination, new nothing, you know, and just to me, not having to write down the weather on every time slip or trying to keep track of that and the way it just the way it organizes it. Cause I think the other thing we haven't talked about is a crew. Like I go to the track by myself once in a while, I can convince somebody to come with and just somebody to enter the data into crew chief pro makes it so much easier to keep your head in the game. Like, you know, to be there by yourself, to write down all the notes and keep track of all that. It's just, it's a lot. And that's where I think crew chief pro, like a lot of guys, you know, to invest into that, it's not that much money but it really helps make and dial the car better. It helps make the note taking better for me, just having the weather data automatically go in and record it with the runs. So when I go home and I get a chance to look at it, like, okay, this was my average reaction time, or this was at this weather, it does this, or this lane, you know, you can kind of compare it to have some crew to be able to help you. To me, that crew chief replaced one person just writing that stuff down. And it really made it a lot simpler. Like I am not a, a super organized person. So it was little steps like that. I mean, that's, that's a thousand dollars you can spend that makes it way easier to dial your car, way easier to record the data. I mean, it's putting the money in the right spots, I think is what really helps 
maybe get the cost down, but it's also going to help you be more successful. Yeah, and I, I like the database features with that. You put anything in those comments fields after a run, and then you can search that up at you know some other point in time. Do you have a favorite weather station, Mike? I've been meaning to ask this for the last couple of weeks. Like, I use Altalab. There's, I mean, there's Altalab, there's Computech, there's Davis, there's Altronics. Uh, who's using what out there? Oh, we've we've had the same Altalab system for it feels like 20 years. I don't know that it's been really that long, but it's been a long time. And you know, we'll send it in to get it calibration checked, and and I think it's a great weather station. Um, you know, to your point, Altronics makes a nice one. Davis makes some nice stuff. Computech. I think it's whatever you can get comfortable with. Uh, I think they're all really good. And I think they can all integrate uh, into the various crew chief systems and things like that. Um, but yeah, we've used Altalab with really good luck. I used to use the pager function uh, a long time ago and it worked great. Um, once the crew chief pro software came out and, and you could integrate to do text messaging, that was a little bit more convenient for me. Um, so we just have a hotspot in our trailer. We just use, you know, one of my phone or my dad's phone, use it as a hotspot in the trailer and then carry the other person's phone with you when you're in the staging lanes. Right. That's a good idea. Do you ever, we have trouble with con uh, internet connections at national events though. You don't, when the pros set up all their stuff, do you have trouble getting like signal? That's been an issue with, with me everywhere I've gone. And then like at the end of the day, when they shut down for the day, it's like, boom, all of a sudden we have, uh, we have internet again. <laughs> so I've always been afraid to try the text messaging because I can't get signal when I need it. I haven't had that problem. I, I've had pretty good luck with it. And I, I think between, between my parents and I, we have Verizon and, and Sprint. Uh, so we have a couple options if, if one of them isn't working so well. Maybe Tesla's looking for a sponsor. Don't they have the new satellite internet that can stream <clears throat> down to race trailers? That'd be nice. Maybe I should get rid of Cricket then. Maybe that's the cause of all my issues. <laughs> I'm cheap. But but I think a lot of this this conversation, I mean, there's <clears throat> to your point, Brian. I mean, Crew Chief is a great software, and there's I'm sure there's others like it. Um, but and it can improve your program. And I think it's it's one of those next steps of do you need it at you know a weekend combo where you're going and you're qualifying in the morning and you're running the entire race that day? You know, it's probably not as required as it would be over a national event period where you're qualifying on, you know, in the old days, you qualify Thursday maybe have a round or two Friday and then, you know, rounds Saturday and Sunday, you've got a, a greater opportunity for change over the course of four days than you do over a 12 hour period. So I think, you know, for a lot of guys that are running a lot of combos and, and single day events, it's a great tool to have, but I think you can certainly be just as competitive, you know, with uh, a temperature and humidity and barometer gauge and an old, you know, weather calculating instrument that you can sit and physically calculate the density altitude uh, and, and you can get to the same result you know very affordably uh, but it's just that next level of automation that makes it a little bit quicker and a little bit more streamlined all right brian you're writing all this down you need some investments for next season yeah i'm looking for sponsors bobby does uh does your math tutoring want to sponsor my race car sure improvemymath.com that's a sponsor of uh this show as long as, as well as, um, Brian, what do you do, Brian? Brian sells something. Yeah, Anderson Ag Service for all your farming needs. Robert Fazio Math Tutoring for all your math tutoring needs. <laughs> no, but seriously, that's what I do. I'm improvemymath.com. <clears throat> Brian, do you have a website? AndersonAgService.com. Okay. The, uh... And whymillbank.com is the sponsor of our podcast because they – they, he provides everything, Craig. Craig Weinberg. I don't know. What would you do? I think Craig's like, could almost do the show on himself. We're going to educate him and he'll be our fill in interviewee. <laughs> well, it's been insane just listening to, because I, I know about zero about racing and specifically this version of it. And so it's been really kind of wild to, to sit and listen to this and just the technical side of it and, you guys are talking about the the equipment that's that's improved the game, so to speak. Um, it's it's crazy to think that if you document all of the data, that will then give you because because it is. I mean, it's a computer. 
essentially you, it gives you what you put in. Um, Bobby and Mike, you both are <clears throat> lifelong racers, right? I mean, you've, you've been in this for, since you were wee ones. Um, did you ever in your careers, both of you ever think that um, you would be able to have so much data available to you instantly? When did that that concept really become real? Uh, as a kid, I certainly didn't. Uh, you know, when, when I was younger, we had, uh, there was a company called Nova that made, it was basically like a little calculator that you would input temperature, humidity, and, and barometer, and it would help calculate all these functions. And it was a, it's all we had. I mean, it was, it was a manual process, but it got you pretty close. But that's what has taken our sport from in the 90s, early 90s, I could even say, you know, if you if you could get within 300 so you're dialing, maybe even four or five, you were a pretty darn good driver and, and you were pretty good at predicting what was going to happen. And, you know, reaction times were less consistent than they are today, less precise, I would say. But the the evolution of all this stuff, it just made that's what makes racing hard is everything has evolved so far that things are so much more consistent. So, so much more predictable and the, the tools that we have are at our disposal. I mean, stock and super stock has turned into some of the best bracket racing that there is. I mean, you, you can go down some of these lists and there's days where you're on both sides of the, la- both sides of the track and guys have fantastic reaction times and they're running dead on or within one. That wasn't the case 30 years ago. And that's, what's made this sport fun and, and a real big challenge. Yeah, indeed. And I mean, when I was young and my dad raced super stock back in the eighties, I mean, we, we didn't have a weather station. We, it was just, uh, go talk to the guy you're pitted next to, see if he's got something and pick a number. I mean, he was, it was as old school as you could, you could get. Um, and I didn't race junior dragsters. I didn't get into racing until about 2006 ish. So dad raced Superstock until about 1992, 93. That car sat in our garage from 1993 until 2009. Um, so when I came back to the game, I mean, I used to go watch a little bit here and there, but when I came back to it and just was driving my car to the to the brackets and running Street Eliminator, again, I was pitting next to somebody that had a weather station, and that's how I was learning. And then me being more tech savvy than than my father, I mean, he's way more mechanically savvy than me, um, I took a liking to it right away. I was like, Oh, computer prediction, software, database, spreadsheets. That's all me. I've, that's like what I live for. So, and then fuel injection, learning that, I mean, I, I am the tech. I, I, I really enjoy this, this aspect of it. So yeah, out to lab crew chief pro that was right up my alley. And I've been there ever since uh, like 2010 ish. So was it less about the technology, like not being there and, is it just more accessible and more affordable now that if you had, if you had the ability and had the cash on hand, you could have gotten this information or was it just not available back then? Really just wasn't available. Hmm. <clears throat> I mean, none of this stuff really existed. It, I don't remember. I mean, as a kid, obviously laptops were very expensive and, and they didn't <laughs> in a sportsman category. I don't think you could have walked the pits and found a laptop in anybody's trailer. Hmm. That wasn't a thing. I, I don't, I can't even tell you when we started bringing a laptop to the racetrack. Cause even, you know, my dad was, he was pretty early into data acquisition and, and acquiring, you know, information from the race car. So we had uh, an on car data acquisition system, but you'd plug it into a dot matrix printer and it would feed <laughs> out. <laughs> you had to carry a box of paper and it would just, <laughs> and you had all this information on a, on a big, print out after the run. Hmm. And so that was data acquisition. You didn't even have a laptop to to grab and interpret that data. All you were missing were the homing pigeons to bring your dial into the lanes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot different time, but at the same time there was there's always going to be people that really work at it and they figure out how to have an advantage. Was it more pure back then when it was less computerized? I think it was more pure. You could say that, but, but at the same time, there was way more. I shouldn't say there was way more. There was people that dominated more. Mm. 
if you look back in the 90s, uh, you know, in, in stock and super stock, Jeff and Charlie Taylor, you know, Jeff more in the 90s, but he he dominated. I mean, he understood the game better than most people, and he he had a competitive advantage. And, you know, the Richardson brothers, uh, Edmund and Scotty, same thing. They understood it better than most people, and they 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 had a competitive advantage because they, I mean, number one, they raced a lot. They tested a lot. They understood what components made a difference, and, and they were they were always on that leading edge of what was available. Um, but guys just didn't didn't have a lot of this stuff available to them back then. So did you have to be like a just a dead-on driver, like your operation, or or did they just wrench the cars properly? Both. I mean, I think the number one key to a lot of this stuff has been reaction time. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you're not good on the starting line, your odds are out the window uh, for long-term success. <clears throat> so, I mean, the, the guys that have always quote unquote dominated, uh, you know, have always been really good at the starting line. And the difference being, you know, they understood how to dial a car better just for various conditions, or they, you know, they had various components, different torque converters and different componentry that helped make their car more consistent, more dialable. Um, I mean, if you think back to, you know, years and years ago, it was hard for a super class car to cut a good light on a four tenths tree you know, there was guys that understood how to make the car react faster or how to pop the tire out of the beam, you know, prior to some of the tools that they had available to them. So you could have a competitive advantage and you could have five hunters in reaction time advantage over anybody. Mm. And it was, that makes a huge difference. And so that stuff was just guys that, that they caught onto something and they understood it. And, uh, and there's a lot that can go into, you know, conversation around dialing techniques and, and especially in the nineties when cars weren't as competitive or they weren't as consistent as they are today, people hadn't ever heard of holding or, or you know, dialing soft, but the, you know, Scotty and Emmett Richardson, they were very good at that. They would, they would carry numbers and, you know, in, uh, in an 890 category, they'd be going 886, 887. And they knew what it took to get to their number. And, and, and they knew that they were going to be as good or better than somebody else on the starting line. And so they just played the game really, really well. Mm-hmm. And they dominated. Wow. Learning, Craig? Oh, yeah. Like it? <laughs> yeah. Brian will have to let me go uh, drive his car. <laughs> come, yeah, come with him to the track. <laughs> he's, um, been, he's been trying to get me to go take pictures of him. So. Oh, even better. Did you guys know that there was a a national open, actually a two national opens in Atlanta this weekend? Just wanted to mention that on s- Saturday in stock, John Livingston took the win, and in super stock, Victor Cagnazzi. Uh, and then Sunday, Roy Caraway took the win in stock. He had a three pack in the final, by the way. And in super stock on Sunday, Dane Pearson took the win. This is eighth mile drag racing. Um, it was a national open series started by Rich Schaefer of division two. When I, IHRA quit class racing, it gave a, uh, a place to race for the IHRA crate motor cars. So, um, they can go to these events. They receive NHRA grade points and a Wally. There's a point system with a championship and the championship is recognized at the uh, D2 banquet. Um, so just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, also Mason Dixon stock, super stock combo race. That's been going on for 20 something years. Sadly rained out on Sunday, uh, Saturday. They always do a, um, a gambler's race for the stock, super stock combo. Brent Derrick, who always does well at this race. He won the Saturday, uh, gambler's race combo yesterday was rained out. Unfortunately, I don't know if there's a makeup date for that. And, the East Coast Stock Super Stock race has now been rescheduled. This is Dave Lay's Division One Stock Super Stock Association. This has been rescheduled for Sunday, November 8th at Atco Dragway. Uh, anybody that wants to get one last shot at a Stock Super Stock combo race, come on out. Support Atco Dragway. Some, uh, support Dave Lay's association. We're hoping not, but it could be the last time you ever race at Atco Dragway. We don't know where the future of this track is. Uh, lies so sunday november 8th echo dragway east coast stock super stock uh purse is always increased for this event this is the one that used to be held at english town it's going to be at echo this year 
uh, $100 to race payable at Dave Lay's trailer. So anybody that was in Mason Dixon, now they have a chance to come. They're not uh, competing with each other to get a car count. Let's get this car count as high as we possibly can. Brian, what do you got? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, my mind's still kind of reeling. Man, we've talked about a lot of stuff today. I just wanted to, one thing I want to touch on, we appreciate everybody listening. We appreciate the feedback. Um, if one thing you could do, if you're listening to an Apple device, what would really help us out is ratings. There's, I think there's, there's been a few people rating, but write a review. Write a review, give us a rating. If you like us, say what you like about it. If you don't like us, say what you like about it. Just <laughs> help us out. If you like us, my name's Robert Fazio. If you don't <laughs> like us, my name's Brian Anderson. <laughs> but that'll really help. So if you're on an Apple device, just go into the podcast, uh, leave a review. Like I said, type something in, give a rating. It really helps us with our rankings on Apple. Um, we've really enjoyed doing this. Like I said, if you could help us do that, that'd be great. If you want to find us, we've got some comments or critiques, or maybe you just want to say, hey, you know what? You guys are awesome, and I want to have you guys do advertising for us. You know, sponsoring, we're always looking for help like that. We're looking to improve it. Takes uh takes a fair amount of technology, and thank you, Y Millbank and Craig Weinberg, for helping us do this. But there's a few things we'd like to keep changing, so we're we're looking for help wherever we can. Classracingtoday.com. Um, go ahead. Our email address is classracingtoday at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram at classracingtoday. More importantly, go to Apple, leave a review, give us a rating, and that would be pretty awesome. Oh, and thank you to everybody that interacts on the Facebook Live. Uh, we try to keep up. We try to interact back with you. So if we didn't get to something that you said or wrote, uh, sorry, it's it, not personal we're just trying to keep up trying to you know interact with you and try to keep the show going at the same time um but we we really love when people are on there during the show so thank you very much and thanks mike for coming on you bet thanks for having me guys it's fun i feel like every time you're on i learn a lot so right mike's probably going to be a recurring every once in a while we got to get a smart guy on here so <laughs> I've set my game up. I'm going to get replaced. <clears throat> I don't know if I'm smart. I've just been around it a long time, and I've uh, I've been a student of the sport. I try and listen uh, a lot and, and just pay attention to what's going on. Awesome. Well, we'll catch you guys next time. All right. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Until next time, have a good week. Hopefully see you at ATCO November 8th.